I thought that I was a happy man. I yeah. thought that I knew what joy was. I thought my <laughs> life was content. Yeah. I thought that I had found a certain level of peace as I went about my days. Yeah. But Brad, I my life has been opened up in beautiful new vistas of joy and contentment. And do you want to know why? Wow, I mean, this is really something. You've, you've reached a crossroads. What happened? My wife and I got a Japanese toilet. And Brad, <laughs> Brad, I thought I knew what joy meant. I thought I knew, I thought I knew how good life could be. Brad, Japan has done it right. They have yes. done it right, my friend. That's all yes. I will say. Yeah, in other words, you got a bidet, right? I, oh yeah, it is. It's a little attachment. It's a little. It's a Toto. If anyone wants yes. to, cares, it's a Toto C5. If anyone cares, a little wash so thing. Yeah. The Geiger family took a trip to Tokyo several years ago, and uh, when we came back, I, I uh, my wife and I both agreed the first chance we get, we're gonna get one of those because oh, it's it's you don't realize <laughs> you don't realize uh, how I, it, it's a different level of clean. And I, I said, I, I, I want this in my life. And when we redid <laughs> the house, <laughs> when we redid the house, we had we we, we had to get a, an electric outlet put near the toilet because ours has a warm. We have a warmer for the water. Do you have warm water? It's a bet. It's amazing. The whole thing is amazing. Yeah. Everything is amazing. So we had to get an electric outlet. And so we when we redid the house, we said, hey, put an electric outlet by the toilet. And the guy says, yeah, yeah, you can't get up your iPhone. I said, no, 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 you don't understand. This, this is an important thing. And, uh, and I had to, I had to explain the, uh, cause I was not going to install this thing. I, I, you know, I'm and not of course the tools. Philly electrician is like, what the hell are you installing? I what had is this? to explain a bidet to a Philadelphia plumber. <laughs> it was one of the most awkward experiences in my life. And he looks at me like he really thought the, like, this was some kind of a, like, like a weird, uh, a lifestyle thing. What is this? A weird sex thing? What are you doing? <laughs> Look, I don't like, know no. what you and your wife get up to. Let me just install this yeah. plug. Yeah, but I'm telling, I, I am right there with you. It is, it, it, the Japanese really are very much advanced uh, in a lot of cases and in, in hygiene particularly. I, I honestly, Brad, I thought I knew what joy was in life. I thought I knew what, I, this thing's amazing. And honestly, what, what savages we've been, savages yes. that we have been, we, that we've lived the way we've lived. Japan has it right. Japan has figured it out. Uh, and uh, we, we need go in no details. Although, Brad, does yours have the setting where a gentle, warm uh, Kyoto summer breeze can come across? Because that is amazing. Do you have that one? <laughs> no, I, we actually stopped just short of getting the, the... I know what you're talking about. It, it, it's a dryer, basically. It blows air. We stopped just short of getting the dryer, and I've always regretted that uh, decision. Brad, uh, maybe there's a special birthday coming up where I can treat you. <laughs> it's 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 like all the comforts of a of a warm ocean breeze off of off of a, a Kyoto or Tokyo blowing across. It's amazing, Brad. It's everything you want. It's everything you want. It's everything oh, it you want. Sounds fantastic. Uh, on that note of. <laughs> Necessary details. I'm going to say hello, everybody, and welcome to Comic Lab, the show about making comics and making a living from comics. I'm Brad Geiger, the editor of webcomics.com and the creator of Evil Inc. And I'm his pal, Dave Kellett, the cartoonist of Drive and Sheldon and co-director of Stripped. And this week's hour of comics advice is made possible by your support at patreon.com slash comic lab. So, Dave, Dave. Let's talk comics. Let's talk comics, my friend. And a huge shout out to the folks at Comic Craft. Remember to put it on your calendar, January yes. 1st, the oh. a big annual sale for fonts that they've got coming. And uh, I got to tell you, uh, Brad and I were talking this morning. And Brad, you were telling me about the font onomatopoeia. Will you tell everybody what this one yes. does? Well, listen, I went over to comicbookfonts.com on January 1st, a couple years ago, and I found this font called onomatopoeia. What it is, is these are pre-made sound effect words like thum and glub and drip. You get the idea. But the, the sound effect is already created. They've got, they've got the typography in an arc. They've got the different word, the, the, the letters in different shapes. They've got the font already uh, uh, kind of uh, baked in. So basically you hit, for example, the G button and you get glug and it's, it's, 
It's shaped perfectly. It's designed perfectly. You've got a professional sound effect. You just hit a button and there it is. The font is called Onomatopoeia and it belongs on your list for January 1st when each of the fonts there is going to be priced at $20.22. That $20.22 is an amazing savings for the annual yeah. annualized price. So you'll, you'll definitely want to jump in on January 1st. And here's the funny thing about Onomatopoeia, that font that Brad was just mentioning. I yeah. have purchased so many Comic Craft fonts over the years. Brad goes... <laughs> Brad goes, hey, well, have you ever had, uh, have you ever tried onomatopoeia? And I go, onomatopoeia? No, what does it do? And he explains it to me. And I yeah. check my computer. You guys, I own onomatopoeia. I forgot <laughs> that I owned it. <laughs> That's how that's how many fonts that I've bought from Comic Craft over the years on their sales is that I have has this ever happened to you, Brad? Where the resources yeah. over twenty years of cartooning, you forget what you have resource wise. Yeah, until I buy it for the second time. And then it comes and I see the package and I'm like, wait a minute, I already bought this once. Uh, that's amazing. All right, well, we're going to jump into the show and say a huge thanks and a shout out to our friends at Comicraft. And so, Brad, our first con- uh, question for today coming in over at patreon.com slash comiclab comes in from Curious Borg. And Borg writes, greetings, great ones. Just wondering how you feel about creating holiday content. Obviously, it narrows the appeal of a strip or merch to a certain time of year, but broadens it to a wide field of celebrants, making it both an advantage and a handicap. I fondly remember Scott Kurtz recurring Kringus's strips, but where do they belong in a collection? Is it worth it to put your duck in a Santa hat and slap him on a T-shirt or have Captain Heroic team up with Santa Claus? What say you? And also, happy holidays, guys. Thanks for all the extra joy. That's fantastic, Curious Borg. And this is a really good question. Bradley J. Geiger, what is your take on holidays, on cartooning specific holidays into your comics? When I was doing a comic strip, I would do holiday strips every now and again. I'd be honest with you, I didn't do them often. Uh, In fact, I only had one significant storyline when I was doing Evil Inc. as a strip in which Lightning Lady had to save Santa or had to help Santa save Christmas. And basically it was kind of a parody of all those holiday specials where insert cartoon character here has to save Christmas, right? right. And uh, and it was just kind of like uh, uh, playing off of that idea. Since I rebooted Evil Inc. as a graphic novel, that stuff doesn't fit quite as much, right? I'm doing I'm doing chapters that take two or three months to to go all the way through. So uh, doing a holiday themed chapter is going to take an entire quarter of of the year, and it's just not uh, as appropriate for me. I don't have a problem with people who do it if they think it's a good fit. And as far as Borg's question, where does it fit in your uh, collection? If he's talking about the print collection, it fits right between November and before January. (laughs) (laughs) That's where it fits. It it just goes where it goes as far as I'm concerned. Uh, But I guess guess my uh, entire thoughts on this are... I don't have a problem with it, but I very seldom do it. Uh, yeah. So uh, I don't have a problem with it either. In the, also in the sense that I like it when I see other cartoonists talk about the holidays they celebrate. You know what I mean? Yeah. And if you're yeah. at all an interested or curious or empathetic person, you want to read about other holidays in this in ones yeah. that you might not necessarily celebrate. Um like I like to read about uh, not being uh, 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 Chinese. I like to read about like red red envelope culture and and, and the passing right. of, like grand grandmothers passing that down and who gets what and how much money is in it and all that sort of stuff. That's fun. That that's what you should be as a human being. You should be interested and curious and all that sort of stuff. Um, I will say with religious holidays, much like politics, religion has the potential to ward off 50% of people and draw in tighter 50% of people. Don't you think, Brad? So um, what was always interesting to me about that is Schultz always said, I I don't want to write about politics because I'll immediately lose 50% of my audience. And yet he was very comfortable uh, as is, as anyone knows with Schultz with uh, Peanuts uh, writing mm-hmm. about religion. So he basically yeah. drew his own lines and that's okay. That's a subjective choice on Charles Schultz's part about what he wanted to do. But really... If your comics are an extension of you, your interests, your lives, um, I think it's perfectly appropriate to um, to write about the holidays that impact your life. Um, yeah. And I think we would all be better for learning more about the different holidays that people are celebrating um, uh, personally. But uh, I think where it gets weird, Brad, is with a comic strip that should not absolutely should not have a holiday in it. 
right? Like <laughs> aliens, <laughs> aliens for, that never have touched human culture suddenly are, right. are celebrating Hanukkah. You're like, wait, what? Or the comic strip <laughs> BC. Um, do you remember BC was literally yes. set 40,000 years ago and yet celebrated Christmas every year. And right. you're like, what, how, why is it, why is any of this yeah. happening? None of this makes sense. It's right there in the title, BC, before Christ, <laughs> <laughs> before Christ. Uh, I, oh, geez, that one, even as a kid, I was, I was like, wait, is a huzzah? Wait a minute, no, yeah, I'm, yeah. I know my math is not great, but I feel like there's a 38,000 year difference here. I feel like maybe this is not. So I like, it, don't shoehorn, in the same way that you shouldn't shoehorn things in from your own uh, beliefs uh, that don't yeah. fit naturally into the comic. Uh, mm -hmm. it, I think that's that's probably a tell. Um, and also, you'll know it when you when you write something that doesn't fit into your comic. It You can tell, you can feel it, that it doesn't yeah. This doesn't fit into the worldview. If you're, I don't know, if you're if you write a mostly happy comic strip and then all of a sudden you're you're right, a three week run on the pissy uh, city council that you live in, everyone's gonna be like, well, all right, well, I don't know about that, how I feel about this. <laughs> I've got, although I will say this, Dave, uh, uh, although I think it's perfectly fine to do a holiday strip, particularly, you know, at this time of year, we tend to get very focused on the the winter holidays. I, and I think it's perfectly fine. I'd, I'd like to advance an even better concept, and that is take a little bit of time off and celebrate the holidays with your family. And take take a couple weeks, especially uh, this time of year, and say, you know what? I'm going to put the site on hold. I'm going to give myself a little break. Mm -hmm. I've worked hard all mm -hmm. year. I've earned it. And I'm going to, you know, it, you know, darn well, I'm going to tell you, your readers are going to be there when you get back. You're not going to lose a bunch of readers. It, it's not the way it works. Uh, they get it. And, and, and here's a hint, here's a little hint for you. They've already checked out. Yeah. <laughs> your readers are not following your work very closely right now because they've got all kinds of stuff going on for the holidays. Exactly. This is a period of time where a lot of people are very much not paying attention. It's the perfect time for instead of worrying about what you're going to put up on your site or on your social media this uh, next couple of weeks. How about you take a little time off for yourself, little eggnog you know, oh, God, grab, grab, oh, grab little, or maybe take little. a baseball bat to your face. Why would you drink eggnog? <laughs> oh, this stuff is the worst. I'll give you a hint about what's the problem with it. The word egg is in it. There's a, there's an egg in that drink. <laughs> and nog. I mean, there's two words. There's, right, there's, right there there's that everything really don't you don't work. want. You, you don't want a small kid from Deep Space Nine and you don't want an egg. Yeah. You don't want either of yeah. those in your drink. You don't want anything with nog in it. I can't even think of like, what's a word I would place with nog that would I, do, I don't want sex nog I, I don't want peppermint nog there's no nog that's good there's no nog yeah there's no there's no nog you don't want to there's no positive nog i'm not nog yeah. positive I, this is a, this is a i'm very <laughs> oh, anti-nog well, well on the other hand dave don't nog it till you try it but you know <laughs> bada bing bada bang but that doesn't uh, but that doesn't uh, uh go in front of my original part which is you know what Instead of trying to figure out how to do a, a, a holiday or a strip, how about how about take a little time and enjoy uh, the stuff that this holiday is supposed to be about, which is enjoying time with your family and friends and and, you know, kind of uh, congratulating yourself for making it to the end successfully to the another year. Amen. Yeah. So uh, my family celebrating Christmas, we I take off usually from the 24th to like the 2nd of January. Mm -hmm. And it is my happy recharge time for the year. Yeah. I'm a better writer. I'm a, yeah. I'm a happier writer for having done it. I, I, mm -hmm. uh, there is, there is nothing about it that I ever regret. Everyone that's in my readership is checked out. They're all thinking yeah. about like, Hey, I'm going to go back and get another cup of disgusting nog. I'm really looking forward to a really gross <laughs> mug of nog. And I don't want to read Sheldon right now or drive. Uh, but anyway, yeah, so I, I find that that recharge, it's a nice time that I can sit by a fireplace and, and a sketch pad and think of ideas for the years to come, mm -hmm. uh, which is very helpful. And um, and so I, I like Brad, I highly co-sign taking that time off during the year as a cartoonist, because as, one of the things that we, we can be is we can be too hard drivers on our own because we are our own boss. And we know that if we give up, then the whole business falls apart. So yeah. it's nice to be able to give ourselves one year, one week a year where you go, nope, I'm, t I'm turning it all off. I'm just, I'm, 
I'm having a, a cup of nog by the fire. <laughs> Brad, speaking of B, speaking of BC, can I skip topics real quick? This is unplanned. Please, but did please. we ever talk about cave painting? Speaking of BC and, and early you cartooning, had it on the list to talk about for a cold open for the show, uh, and we never got around to it. I know what you're going to say. Run with it because this is a great story. Well, we all know. Okay, so the the cave paintings of like Lascaux, France, right? Early, mm -hmm. early, early sequential cartooning showing yeah. how uh, a group of humans would have hunted bison or hunted a buffalo or something, right? And so you would see it sequentially how they would have done it. But one of the things that was always threw people for a loop is these were clearly good artists. They had the anatomy of a bison down, but then the bison would have six or eight legs or the, yeah. or the, the elk would have legs in different positions. So it would be one elk, but the legs would be in different position. And then someone figured out, and I think this is brilliant. Yeah. That had you lit that cave with fire, which would be flickering and which because of the nature of fire would have slightly different positions in the way it throws the light, mm -hmm. that that elk or that bison would look like it was running in firelight because of the yeah. way that they had basically animated static cartoons. And I think that is fantastic. That is so interesting that humans 40,000 years ago had figured that out. Yeah, and it was very early animation uh, as well as being very early, in some cases, sequential art. Uh, it, it really is kind of amazing uh, how much they had on the ball that we, we, we look at them and because they didn't have an iPhone in their pockets, we assume they were primitive. Uh, and, and yet uh, they were surviving from year to year, from season to season in, in situations that would have absolutely decimated you and me. Uh, you can't call that primitive. No. And, you know, by the way, do you know why they were in caves 40,000 years ago? Speaking of being no, decimated? No. Why? The, uh, this is a freaking horrible part of human history that we don't talk about that much. The magnetic poles of Earth had flipped over or were in the process of flipping over, but it took a yeah. couple hundred years for them to flip. And yeah. in that process, the UV rays from the sun went through the roof. So humans were literally getting baked outside. So they're like, fuck it, I'm going into a cave. This is ridiculous. I am not staying outside unless I have to hunt. So honest to God, for a couple hundred years there, humans were just like, I'm going into a cave. There's yeah. The magnetic poles are flipping and I, I cannot deal with this anymore. And that's why we got cave paintings though which is yeah. because they're like well i'm spending most of my day in a cave i'm gonna learn how to yeah. draw all right here we go yeah. I'm, gonna, I'm gonna put some some legs on this elk look it's moving remember Somebody, when we could go outside kids this is fun i'm gonna be inside this cave for the foreseeable future somebody call me when they invent the bidet <laughs> i tried to order uber eats for buffalo but it turns <laughs> out we gotta go out and get to one <laughs> well dave i've got a new question for you and uh, this is a great one and it's a topic that i think is very sorely in need of us talking about Okay. Uh, and you'll see what I'm talking about when we get to it. It is coming to us from Chris Russell, who says, hey, Brad and Dave, I wanted to know your opinion on using programs like Blender to help comic artists draw backgrounds. That is to create a base model of something like a city and then trace over that scene in an art program. Would this be seen as cheating? Would it ruin an artist's reputation? Dave Kellett, Dave, are you worried about uh, ruining an, uh, uh, your reputation by using uh, uh, applications like Blender? I, as far as one could say, uh, I am at the exact opposite from the sense of cheating. I think yeah. here's what I'm hearing you saying. Dave, if I use my creativity and my, my drawing ability to use a program to create a city that I can then use a completely different <sighs> set of my drawing and creativity yeah. to draw over that city in a faster way, such that by creating this once in Blender, I will go faster in my day-to-day -day and weekly drawing. Is that mm -hmm. cheating? No, that's not cheating. That's you figuring out fun workarounds to tell more story faster. Uh, and and so with all good reason, I say that's the opposite of cheating. That's being creative. I think that's, that's a, a great yeah. solution. I use the, as a matter of fact, it's so widely understood to be part of the comic creators uh, toolkit that Clip Studio Paint includes it in, in what they uh, offer as a part of their application. Uh, they, you can bring in 3D uh, models, you can position it exactly the way you want it. And then you can either trace it yourself or you've got an auto trace function that uh, you can work. It gives you wonderful, really beautiful backgrounds uh, very, uh, very quickly. Is it cheating? Absolutely not. <laughs> it is not cheating. Uh, it, it is it is called getting the work done. Yes. Right. 
Uh, now you, it, 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 is it called cheating? Uh, the only person who's ever going to call it cheating is another comics artist, uh, uh, that might look at that. And it's the same person that as soon as you get successful is going to point to you and call you a sellout, right? Yeah, absolutely. But the people that count your readers, those people, they don't care. All they want is a good comic and they really don't care for the most part what you did to get it. They want good writing and they want uh, images that help them follow uh, the story from panel to panel. And this is not new. I give you the words of, of one of my favorites, Wally Wood, who worked in the, in the very early days of, of uh, superhero comics, Marvel and DC Wally said, quote, never draw anything you can copy, never copy anything you can trace, and never trace anything you can cut out and paste up. <laughs> Jeez, Wally. All right, slow it down there. That's funny. Yeah, it, no, but, but it's true, uh, that was that was but that's listen, these these folks uh, take a look at that early work that you're looking at uh, as a comics artist and saying, I want to be that. Uh, those people had to do a remarkable number of pages per yes. week. Yes. And part of the way they did that was through the uh, uh, through the assembly line process. In other words, a penciler would pencil, then an inker would ink, and they'd pass it down and so forth. And you could get 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 some speed that way. But come on, uh, dude, don't kid yourself for a minute. If you've got something that gives you the edge, that gives you uh, uh, something that looks part of the universe that you're creating. And that's the one ca caveat, Dave, before I, before I uh, give this topic up, uh, the one caveat I'm going to say is that sometimes it's possible that you get stuff that do just doesn't look like it fits in your universe. True. Like that's if true. Dave Kellett traced uh, a Ford Explorer and put it into a Sheldon comic, it would look way out of place because uh, Dave's universe is drawn differently than that. Right? Absolutely. He's got yeah. to use photo reference if he uses it in, in a completely different way and, and kind of make it his own. Uh, but uh, that's you got to have to be a little bit careful about inserting something that looks alien and foreign into your image. But aside from that, if you've got a way to get this job done uh, 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 more efficiently and faster, absolutely. You've got to take that. Well, let me give you a personal example of how. It's it, to Brad's point, it's necessary that it fit into your world. That, and that's a key thing that it has to fit. It can't be all of a sudden a, a completely different line art, a completely different level of cleanliness and, and architecture accurate um, uh, building design that doesn't normally fit into your world. And mm -hmm. then also for reasons of copyright, it can't just be an exact version of what you are seeing in either a photograph or because remember, that's an artist too capturing the world. Right. And right. It, you are stepping on their toes if you if you replicate it perfectly. So here is what I do, Brad. Uh, I needed a car um, for, I did a comic strip about uh, mooing at cows when you drive by a pasture the other day, right? Yeah. Yeah. That and thing, I needed yeah. a car. I needed a pleasant little car, scoot dudin across the street, you know, uh, going by a pasture. So what I did was I Googled for weird looking 1970s Eastern European cars, because mm -hmm. let's be honest, those are naturally comic strip cars to begin with. Yes. And then what I did is I took it into Photoshop. I used the warp tool to stretch and mold and basically pretend it was clay and yeah. make it a different looking car. It still worked. It still was a car. Uh, and then I did my own line work over it, which, as you know, from my style, Brad, is much more sketchily much more looser. You know what I mean? I had fun with it as an, I did an artist interpretation yes. over the car basically. Yeah. And those three to four steps of separation, I ended up with a very different and personally drawn car versus what yeah. I was originally off of. But that by grabbing it from that original 1970s Eastern European car, I probably saved myself 40 minutes of figuring out how I was going to oh. try to draw this thing, you know? Yeah. So uh, was it a uniquely drawn Dave Kellett car that fit into a Dave Kellett world? Absolutely. Was it based on photo art? Absolutely. But it was, yeah. remember, it was a couple steps away. So put it through your filter, as Brad always says, and and thereby making it your own, um, which right. is important. Yeah, that's, uh, and, and don't kid yourself. Uh, this is something that is, that, just about every professional artist is is, is very comfortable doing. Yes. Take a look at the uh, the manga that's being produced at an amazing uh, <laughs> speed. 
to keep up with with demand. Uh, there are when I went to Tokyo, there's entire books of backgrounds that are that, oh, that yeah. you buy as an artist with the with the idea that you're going to trace these backgrounds, or in some cases, you're going to scan it and drop it in. Uh, this is this is something that's assumed <laughs> across the board. It's part of your toolkit. In, as a matter of fact, I'll tell you this: if you're not using it, you are uh, you're 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 risking. Uh, kind of wasting time on something that your readers just don't expect. Again, your readers just want you to do a good comic. How you got there uh, is, is really something that they're not interested in. They're too busy reading what you wrote to get into how you done it. Right. And uh, because we live in a digital age where a lot of art supplies are already made for us, yeah. We a little bit forget the history, whether it's Japan, whether it's India, whether it's Western yeah. Europe, of artists who made their own brushes, you know, made mm -hmm. their own paints, made their own canvases, made their own devices for for observing the world, like yeah. Vermeer or Da Vinci, you know, those those right. viewing devices that would give you perspective, give you a picture of the world. Uh, all of that stuff was because they were more involved. What I was saying is they were actively looking for cheats and, and shortcuts yes. and and better ways to do it because they were involved in the process of making the tools to make the art. So yeah. um, you would have, of course, Vermeer is going to make his own viewing device. Of course, right. Da Vinci is going to make his own viewing device. And so because they were like, how can I shave a couple of days off of this painting? Dear God, I've got to I want to go outside and have a sandwich <laughs> for the love of God. I'm going to divide. I'm going to create a device that'll do it. Yeah, yeah. Look up the Magic Lantern. Uh, look, there's a great uh, documentary called Tim's Vermeer uh, yeah. that I'm sure you can find on one of the streaming services that that talks exactly about that. The whole idea was using this device. Somebody who had never painted a stroke could literally paint a masterwork level oil painting. Uh, and all they needed to do was use this machine. And by the way, this is this has been part of the artist toolkit, uh, like Dave says, for centuries. Uh, it, it, there's no in other words, there's a part of this, Dave, that it, that it's like, well, I'm not an artist if I'm not suffering. <laughs> right. Yes! If I'm not yes! suffering, it oh, must Brad, not yes! be art. And and I tell you what, every time I use uh, Clip Studio to do a background, I have this voice in the back of my head gleefully shouting, life is too short to draw backgrounds. <laughs> yeah, I've got a completely different idea. It's like, no, I, I need to get this background done so I can get to the next panel so I can right. get to the next right. panel. Because uh, I've got a, I got a, I got, I got a life to live, and I, I want, I want to tell the story. I want to tell it well. But uh, sitting there and torturing myself over a background is just not going to happen. And here's the thing: you, uh, uh, it's also a version. It's, it's a, it's like I'm not an artist unless I'm suffering. And also, right. it's the assumption that everyone else is doing it the right way, and you're somehow not doing it the right way. Yeah. So, for example, no matter what your style is. You're like, well, there's a there's a better artist out there that's doing it the correct way. I, right. with my stick figures, am not a real cartoonist. Well, let me tell you, Randall Monroe's making way more than your average Marvel cartoonist. Uh, cartoonist. Yeah. And 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 it's not like his audience is reading his stuff going, this isn't real cartooning. This yeah. is not communicating with me. It's working fine, by the way. Selling a lot yeah. of books, doing great. So uh, both the fact that you don't need to be suffering and that your style, your look, your approach is totally valid. You are not cheating because of the way you create. That's just the way you create. Absolutely. Hey, if you're listening while you work, take a minute to stand and stretch. And while you're doing that, we're going to tell you why you should join us on Patreon. When you do, you're going to get hours and hours of podcasts that we've recorded just for backers. And exclusive Patreon posts that go even deeper on Comic Lab topics. And access to our exclusive Discord server, which is a thriving community of professional cartoonists. So you can support the show you love and get tons of actionable resources for your own cartooning. And listen, if you can't swing a pledge this month, we get it. No worries. Yeah, yeah, listen, you can still support the show by rating us wherever you get your podcasts. Just leave a five-star review and a few kind words. That, along with mentions on social media, is incredibly helpful. Now, everybody, let's talk comics. And Dave, this is my opportunity to remind you that this show is being brought to all of us from our good friends at Wacom over at WACOM.com. They're the creators of the powerful professional portable Wacom One, which both of us have been using in our studio for years and years and years. 
And Brad, I took a page out of your book uh, this past week, and I brought the Wacom One onto my <gasps> back deck because it, it got a little it got a little chilly. So I was enjoying mm -hmm. the kind of brisk Southern California winter. It got down to 71, 72, and I was like, <laughs> you know what? I'm going to put on a sweater, and uh, I I had to take my flip flops off and put on socks because it was a little oh. bit chilly. So I drew out on the back deck, and I, I got to tell you, it was a dang delight though with that Wacom One. You're right, drawing yeah. outside is a dang delight. It is nice. Uh, it's, I, I surprise myself how much I really enjoy it. And uh, beyond uh, joy drawing, it's nice as a professional artist that sometimes if we've got to do personal appearances or uh, spend a little bit of time at a comic convention at a hotel, it's kind of nice to know that you've got this professional equipment that you can easily pick up and take a, around with you wherever you go. Oh my God, legit, this is the truth because my wife was telling me uh, she might have to shoot in Georgia next year. <gasps> and really? then she's like, so maybe we'll all time it and we'll bring the family down in summer. And I was like, you know what? Maybe I'll teach at SCAD and I'll bring my Wacom One and I'll just work wherever we end up. That would be fun. Yeah. So, the Wacom One, anyway, long story short, the Wacom One might, might feature in Dave Kellett living in Georgia for a brief period. So that'll be fun. <sighs> all right, Brad, let's move into our first <laughs> question here, having thanked our friends at Wacom at WACOM.com for the sponsorship. So, Brad, this question comes in from Jay Lark over at patreon.com slash comic lab. And Jay Lark writes, Hey, Brad and Dave, lately I've been seeing more of what I would call wholesome comics. Instead of a joke or a punchline or a dramatic reveal, the last panel reveals or contains some heartfelt comment, message of encouragement, or inspirational thought. They can be found sprinkled throughout some comedy strips. Sheldon is a good example. But for others, it's like their whole premise. They often bring a smile to my face, but I wonder if they run the risk of going stale over time or if it's possible for them to stay fresh and stand on their own as a genre. I would love to hear your thoughts on this style of comics. Thanks for all the laughs and smiles, Jay Lark. Bradley Jay, I, I ask you, uh, is this a new iteration in comics, this idea of wholesome comics, and can they stand the test of time? Oh, I think they, uh, well, listen, uh, is it new? Uh, no, I don't think it's particularly new. <laughs> as a matter of fact, Dave, as you remember, we talked about one of those types of comics during the very early stages of Comic Lab, and that was uh, what? Uh, well, there's, there's many a stage. I mean, the entire run, 40-year run of Love Is, I yes. think, is probably a good example of wholesome comics that absolutely can stand the test of time yeah. and are basically like living Hallmark cards, you know, that kind of thing. Yeah. Uh, and then also, I uh, this is where I dip in a little bit of comics history. There are Victorian comics where absolutely there's no joke. It's The, it, yeah. the whole idea of the comic is to tell you life is okay, you're going to be okay, things will get better, keep, <laughs> keep onward and upward, basically. You know what I mean? Yeah. And that's the same kind of thing as a lot of these wholesome comics is like you're right. not alone the feelings that you are feeling are valid um the thoughts that you're thinking are not are on, don't only happen to you we all get depressed or we all get sad but pick yourself up and go again and and those have a valid reason for existing because people love them people genuinely love them and so even though they might not be my personal uh forte uh, I will absolutely dip into them every once in a while because yeah. that's what I'm feeling and I so I try to write from the heart from those moments you know yeah I think I think you're absolutely on the right track there. And it's definitely not my cup of tea, but I think that they're wonderful. I think they're valid comics. I, I think they have a place in the comics stratosphere. Would they go stale? I don't know. I, that, that depends. I mean, it's the staleness of comics comes with rereading no matter what. Like, I've got a bunch of Bloom County books up there on my bookshelf. I can tell you the punchline of almost every one of them as soon as I see the first panel. God, Is that's that true, going yeah. stale? Perhaps I still pull them down and, and page through of them and, and get a warm feeling uh, every now and again. Uh, so I don't know that I'm that worried about uh, a staleness because uh, by the time my stuff got stale, it's because somebody's reread it uh, about a hundred times and that's a huge success. So I don't, I don't, I don't spend a whole lot of time worrying about staleness. Do you? No. And I think actually that's, that's a feature, not a bug to wholesome comics yeah. is, is the comfort of knowing yeah. you can go to a thing that, that brings you a certain level of heartwarming, um, uh, welcome. 
even if it's the same kind of thing over and over and over and over again. Like no one goes to the coffee shop and orders their standard coffee and goes, all right, but now we put ginger in it. And you're like, what? Yeah. No, that's not, I yeah. want my comforting normal coffee order. I don't want something new. And so for a certain kind of comics, and it's totally appropriate and fine, uh, what they offer is I'm going to tell you that life is okay, that that things yeah. are worth living for, that that life is wholesome and heartwarming and, and uh, you're worthy of being in this world. And that absolutely has a place in the pantheon of comics. That's yeah. absolutely valid and, and perfect, even though I don't turn to it day to day. But who I'm not made of stone. They, they impact me every once in a while in a way that's lovely. And I appreciate <laughs> that they exist, you know? <laughs> yes. Well, not only that, but let's take and draw back on that a little bit more because there's something underlying here that's really important to understand as any kind of a creator, uh, but specifically as a comic creator. And that is, think about that idea of, of worrying about if your comic is going stale. What it assumes is that you have a finite number of readers that are reading this thing over and over and over again. Right. But what I've told you on this show uh, an awful lot of times is that you've got an infinite readership. You've got an infinite yes. pool of potential readers or an eye infinite pool. Uh, so, yes, you've got one crew that is coming through in 2021 reading these comics and they've read them and, and you know, they, they know what's coming and all this other stuff. But in 2020, 2022, you've got a whole nother crew of people. You've got new people being exposed to your work all the time. And, and your publishing should reflect that. There should be an archive that people can go through. You should be posting some old work on social media from time to time for those people who are experiencing you for the first time. I think we make a lot of uh, risky choices. I think we make a lot of bad decisions, quite frankly, because we get locked into this idea that we have a finite readership and we don't, we have an infinite readership right, and your right. publishing and your publishing decisions should reflect that. And another, another parallel thought that I, I would like to express is that, um, it is okay that not everything in the world is made for you. And, and yeah. I'll personalize yeah. it. Not everything in the world is made for Dave Kellett. Right. And that's as it should be. That's as it, that's as planned. Right. So for example, my mother-in-law, God love her. She loves Hallmark movies, loves them. <laughs> we'll watch them all the time, like loves Hallmark movies. Yeah. I walk in and within three seconds are like, you can figure out the plot. Yeah. And the, the point is not that the plot is hard. The point is that life offers you opportunities for love. That's the point of a Hallmark right. movie, you know? The, it's always the girl from the big city who goes back to the hometown. And the guy who, the handsome dude who always seems to have his shirt off, uh, would, <laughs> he, you know what? That could be a life. And so she leaves the big city and moves back to the small town and they fall right. in love. I, you know, I walk in within five minutes delivering groceries. I'm like, I know what this story is. I, yeah. I, I can tell what this is. And I'll sit and watch it with her for a second. I'm like, I, but it's not for me, but fine. It exists for someone. And, and it is a totally valid art form. And so that's why I say with wholesome comics, even though they're not for me, they exist for a personality that needs to be reminded that life is okay. It's, it's yeah. kind of like the same people, Brad, that every day subscribe to an inspirational quote calendar or have some service on Instagram that's constantly giving them a feed yeah. of inspirational quotes. Because yeah. uh, God forbid there are worse things in the world than being told that you are valued, that you're worthwhile that life is okay, life is worth living. That absolutely has a place in the world. And so Wholesome Comics absolutely has a place in the world. Well, and listen, I've been, uh, as you know, I like to find things that are just interesting enough, but not too interesting to have on in the background when I'm inking, right? Otherwise it becomes a distraction. Well, without without damning them with faint praise, right now my current jam is uh, the, the entire run of Star Trek Voyager, which was a very good sci-fi, you know, pot boiler. Yeah. Uh, but I like it for the same reason that your mother-in-law likes Hallmark movies. I can very quickly figure out what's going to happen in the episode <laughs> <laughs> because they, you, it, there's a real rhythm. There's a pattern to a Star Trek episode that, that they develop very quickly throughout TNG and then gets carried throughout between yep. Voyager and Deep Space Nine and so forth. Uh, you can, you can see what's, you can see it coming right down the pipe. And uh, I like that. I like I like knowing that uh, that that this is a rhythm that I can kind of swim in for a little while. It, it makes a very enjoyable experience. And let's pour one out for whoever the hairstylist was that had to do Janeway's upturned bun every episode. Oh because my, my God, that thing, gosh, that thing was like a rock. Nothing could move that hair. And so I, I that hairstylist did a great job with Janeway with that I hair. I spent a lot of times figuring out the hair decisions on that show. 
Uh, it really was yeah, amazing. They really, they, Just yeah, the whoever, whoever gave art direction to that hair dresser was great because they're like, here's what we need. Cuckoo bananas. This alien has cuckoo bananas hair. Can you make that happen? They're like, yep, I'm on it. Uh, yeah. So, but, but yeah, no, that's a perfect example that, that sometimes we're looking, not all art has to be Dostoevsky and challenges right. your very notion of what it is to be a human. Yeah. Sometimes we're just looking for uh, comfort food or comfort. or a, a little wholesomeness to get. Because remember, and we've all had it, yeah. some of us are going through hard days, really hard days. Yeah. And so a little bit of wholesomeness and heartwarm, uh, heartwarming message can sometimes be uh, literally a matter of life and death. So yeah. th they, these absolutely have a place and they are worth uh, keeping in the art of uh, of comics, and they will they will stand the test of time in the sense that they serve their purpose in in the moments that they're read. Absolutely, yeah. yes, 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 absolutely. And that's what comics do. They connect with somebody and make them feel something at, at the absolutely. very best. And that, that's what you're trying to do in comics is you're trying to make somebody feel something. Well, Brad, speaking of feeling something, let me ask you our next question here. And it's uh, this comes oh. in from an anonymous uh, writer over at patreon.com slash comic lab. Yeah. But it says, hi, Brad and Dave. I've been working on my long form comic for over a year now, but the characters involved were originally created by my friends and I in college. New plot, new character designs, but they still want to be included in the project. Creative differences have been causing a lot of issues between us, and I'm not sure what to do. Technically, this version of the story is mine, but they still feel connected to it. How can I protect my story and keep my friendships intact? Love the show and would really appreciate any advice. Brad, this is a really oh. interesting question and one that we have kind of forewarned about before on the past about... Yeah involving friends or including friends as characters in the comic or yep. basing characters on friends or, or, but it, let's, this is a lot to unpack on this one. What are your first thoughts on this one, Brad? Oh, well, it, that part of me uh, almost wants to know the age of this person because that would factor in to my answer, believe it or not. But uh, I, I, I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to give it to you straight. Uh, you get to choose one, the story or your friends. You're going to be able to keep one. Ooh. You are not going to be able to keep both. <laughs> not, not the way this is set up. I, yeah, I don't, you might I be right. Don't, yeah. Yeah. As a matter of fact, I was going to, I was going to back off on that and, and make it a little bit more touchy feely, but I think you deserve to hear it straight. You get to choose the comic or your friends. Uh, you get to keep one. You're not going to keep both. And I don't even think without, without looking at your comic or anything else, I don't even think you should try to keep both, uh, depending on on which way you decide. Uh, and this is where I kind of wondered about the person's age in that. And and uh, from my experience, sharing my experience, I had an awful lot of friendships in my 20s that seemed very, very important. None of which almost. In fact, let me think almost none of which exist in my fifties, <laughs> you know, a lot of those people I don't talk to anymore, uh, who were very important for me to keep, uh, on, on, a, on a, on a, even keel with and, and stay in connection with in my twenties. Uh, I don't think there's too many of them that I even talk to anymore. Uh, every now and again, I'll, I'll put a like on their Facebook post and, and that's oh, it. you generous man. Yeah. Yeah. That's it. <laughs> so, so I, 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 so part of that is that just, just sharing my experience and, and maybe it has a parallel for the journey that you're going to be on. But uh, I will tell you this uh, and tell, and, and tell me if you think I'm wrong, you're going to have to choose one. Uh, I don't necessarily disagree with you. And here's what my answer was going to be, which is, I think you have to chalk up this current iteration as a loss yes. and start an entire first have a conversation with your friends. I want to mm -hmm. work on a comic on my own. And then I think you have to do a, uh, a totally new concept. And I, here's yeah. why, here's where my thinking is. Um, things got confused here and your yeah. friends think that this current iteration is still theirs. Yeah. And here's the problem with that. If you work five years, 10 years, 15 years, and you find success with it, yeah. they might, and it doesn't mm -hmm. matter if they legitimately have a legal basis for it. They might say, this is our project, not right. your project. Right. And because you never contractualized it mm -hmm. and because uh, story B kind of, even though not really flowed from story A, they yeah. could maybe have a case. And so what I'm getting, at is it's it's confusing and it's unfortunate because whenever you involve friends and you don't contractualize it 
things get messy really quick. So this is the second thing that I want to say, and it doesn't help you in this particular instance, but it helps the rest of us, which is always, always, always contractualize what you're working on, when it's, whether it's friends or family, especially if it's family, I guess. Yeah. Um, associates, you know, uh, uh, schoolmates, whatever it is, contractualize it. Even yeah. if the worst case scenario, even if it's a letter of understanding that you both sign, not, yes. not necessarily a legal contract, but I have created this. I will bring this to the table. You have created this. You will bring this to the table. These are our responsibilities. These are our payouts. This is, you know, that kind of thing. Uh, granted, that's not a legal contract per se, but it at least is something that you could both point to and say, we agreed to this. Don't you think, Brad? Yeah. Absolutely. I was teaching a arts entrepreneurship class uh, for college at one point, and I was talking about the importance, the necessity of having contracts. And one kid raises their hands and says, yeah, but I'm working with my cousin. We were raised together. We're practically brothers. I don't need a contract for my cousin. And I said, you're working with your cousin? He says, yeah. I said, you need an extra large contract. I said, (laughs) I I have contracts with complete strangers. With friends, we need an ironclad contract. With family, you need an extra, because this is somebody that when things go toes up, you're going to be staring across the table at them at Thanksgiving. You need an extra strong contract when you're working with family and friends, because that's that, that's that's the stuff that's really going to uh, uh, be volatile right, when it goes right. upside down. Now, here's one thing I want to talk about real quick, Dave. I'm going to I'm going to tell you, by the way, uh, the question asker, I'm going to tell you the decision you should make. <laughs> OK, because I'm already, you know, fired all up the way it, yeah. into your life. I might as well just uh, go all the way. Choose your friends. And here's what I mean. Uh, if you read the question, I've been working on my long form web comic for over a year now. That is baby. Uh, not, that's, that's a baby web comic, right? It doesn't feel like it for anyone that's been working for a whole year, but in the scheme of things, that's, that's very young for a web comic. This is the time to, uh, stop it. This is the time to put it out uh, and and go on to something new, right? Mm-hmm. You're not going to lose a lot, yeah. You and you're gonna you will have learned things doing that comic over the past several months that you can take to your new thing. I say stop this comic now, while it's young, before it starts to uh, gain steam, and take everything you learned. Start something that's completely your own, that nobody else. And the same way we told that other guy a couple uh, months back, remember uh, he had put his comic on hiatus for a few years and he was going to come back. And we said, whatever you do, don't go back to that old comic. Do something completely different, right? Mm -hmm. I'm going to say the same thing. Do something completely different so that your friends can't even... Uh, pretend to draw lines between that old project and this new one. Keep your friends. It's nice to have friends, or at least that's what they tell me. Uh, The the comic, however, I want you to, this is the perfect time. You've only put months into it. This is the time to stop that, start something that's all your own, make a clean break and start something new. The timing is never going to be better end it now. Keep your friends. Start a new comic. Uh, yeah, it's funny that you and I kind of ended up with the same answer, basically, which is mm-hmm. uh, keep the friends, start a new title, make yeah. sure 100 percent that everyone is everyone p- previously involved is aware that this is a new concept entirely yeah. yours. You don't want or need or are seeking involvement and then do it for yourself. Um, yeah. And then it, it, for future, remember that contracts are there both to plan the day to day, how things will work. Their contract is there to plan how payouts will happen when things go wonderful. And then contracts are there to plan how things will fall apart in a planned way when things go toes up. Right. So right. contracts, they plan for for consistency. They plan for success and they plan for failure. But they also delineate who owns what and who's responsible for what. And so the next time you have a project with friends, contract it and find a nice uh, a local lawyer that does IP or even basic business and, and have them contractualize it. And even if you can't do that, a letter of understanding between yourself that yes. lays out what I just talked about yeah. and both sign it, both keep a copy then you're good to go. Um, and kind of, Brad, it's a little bit in this situation, wouldn't you say it's a little bit like Susie Orman's old statement in terms of what you should prioritize. Yeah. First, you prioritize people, then you prioritize money, then you prioritize things. 
And in this regard, I think the story become comes last. Prioritize the friends that you have and love and cherish now. You yeah. you are remember your ideas are unending. You will have more and new story ideas. Uh, go to a new one, uh, like Brad said. I think that's the best advice. Which is slightly different from what Susan McTaggart used to say. Oh yeah, she, well you know Brad Susan McTaggart always used to say, "And just remember that a sunbeam is a love that you can carry on your face, friends." <laughs> Susan McTaggart. And I, I I often wonder, Brad. Remember? Do you remember what Susan McTaggart's favorite Ziggy a comic was that uh, that she used to love? Remember Susan McTaggart always used to uh, she would read Ziggy because she loved heartwarming comics, and so she yeah. had a favorite Ziggy. I think yeah, and I you remember, remember Brad. I remember what what Susan McTaggart used to point to her favorite Ziggy cartoon, and and he would say i've been carrying the sunbeam on my face for so long it's not happiness it's carcinogenic <laughs> hmm, i'm ziggy i'm ziggy <laughs> <laughs> well, Dave, we've got time for one more quick question. And uh, <laughs> and and this is one that I think we can handle relatively quickly. Can I, uh, can I pause you for one second? Because yeah. I just thought for, out of nowhere, this just popped into my head. I just thought of another Ziggy punchline. Yeah. It goes, well, I'll tell you what, these boots are made for walking and they've walked all over me. <laughs> I'm Ziggy. <laughs> I think I'm wearing them wrong. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, this one comes in uh, from Tyler, who says, I do comics commissions and freelance graphic design work, but the bank made me jump through hoops to prove all of my income is real. Have Whoa. you ever run into issues with banks and taxes related to your job as an artist? And I, I bring that up because I think we can answer. I, I think we can put Tyler's mind at ease very quickly. And it brings up another side thing that I wanted to talk about. But have you experienced this where since you're a self-employed artist and the bank looks at the uh, at your income and says, uh, this can't be real. Where's this money coming from? Not only does oh Jesus, not only does this happen every time I go to do anything with a bank, but it is so like clockwork that I now have an entire folder on my computer. Yeah. Filled with documentation to show how my income works, yes. to show how uh, how my how the, how I, I get frustrated just thinking about it, because when I went to refinance this house that I mm -hmm. live in now, because rates dropped a year or two ago, yeah. I went to refinance. And honest to God, the, the the mortgage person was like, I don't understand how you and your wife make money. I yeah. literally do not understand how you make money. She's yeah. like, you need to talk me through how this works, right? And so I, it, it was literally an hour phone call with a bunch of documents that I was sending over one at a time, like, to like now look at this document. Okay, so, because the average banker is used to a W-2. You, right. I, I work for a company. I go to, I check in, ka-chunk, I check out, ka-chunk, I get a yes. W-2, right? Yes. That's, the, that's like 98% of the population is mm -hmm. I have a W-2, here's my income, I'm gonna show you, can I qualify to buy this car? Can I qualify to buy this house? Yes, you can. All right, let's do the paperwork. Then in comes Dave Kellett and goes, all right, so two, twice a year I run a Kickstarter. On average, the Kickstarters are these amounts. Uh, monthly, I've got uh, three different Patreons. One, I split 50-50 right. with Brad Geiger. The other two, one's for Sheldon, one's for Drive. Okay, that's Patreon. Then I do online book sales. Then I do convention book sales. Then I do, uh, uh, and then I have advertising. I have uh, uh, commission sales that I do. I do eBay sales that I do. I, and the you can see the look on the banker's face. Yeah. like, what the hell is going on? And then I get into my wife's income, which is even weirder because yeah. she's working in TV. And that that's the whole boggling uh, bit of finances. So. That's the one that surprises me. I like, I get that they don't understand what we do, but I figured Gloria's would be more cut and dry. No, they, they do not understand how my wow. wife, because she's on a deal. She's not on a, a like, she doesn't punch in on a clock. Right. She's on a three-year deal at the current three-year deal with Amazon. And yeah. so they're like, wait, what are they paying her to do? I'm like, she develops TV shows. Okay, but how do they... What are they, what is she, how do they, what, like, they don't get it. They're like, why did they pay certain things that this pay out, but certain things that this pay out? I'm like, oh, well, yeah. that's explained because anytime, that, that's actually not an Amazon deal. That's an old TV show that she worked on called How I yeah. Met Your Mother. And the check that you're looking on, that specific check is because it played in Israel for six months. So now she's getting what's called a residual. And they're like, what's a residual? And I'm like, all right, so in TV, the way it works. And then I have to take them through like how the yeah. hell a TV writer gets paid. And so they don't, the bankers, like they literally go, white in the face like mm -hmm. can i just have your w-2s and i'm like yeah. we don't have w-2s this they is don't all weird exist. yeah, yeah I, I had the same exact uh, uh issue when we were refinancing the house and and 
uh, I will say the reason I wanted to talk about this briefly is because I threw up a Hail Mary pass to uh, Patreon and I said, hey, these people are asking me to prove my income. Uh, it, it, is there anything you can do? Patreon very quickly got back to me and really? said, this is, listen to this. They said, this, this has been happening a lot and they've got a whole like form that they could just generate and send to me to send to the bank that kind of like explained where my income came from, proved that I had a, a consistent source of income over a certain number of years or so forth. And they like Patreon was ready. They had this ready to go. It wasn't like, oh, let me see what I can create on the fly. No, they said, we've been dealing with this for so long. We're, <laughs> we've got a format for it. We'll have it to you in an hour. Boop, beep, bop. All of a sudden, I've got a PDF in my email from Patreon that the bank accepted. They were like, I, oh, okay. I'm I so glad we had this question because yes. I did not know Patreon would do that for you. Holy crap. That oh would have been so helpful to Listen, me. Listen, I know I come off as a Patreon cheerleader on this show. I know that I will die defending them uh, because of all the things they do. I'm telling you, there's a reason for it. They, they have, they're just consistently good at this stuff. Uh, they're, I had a I, David. I had a paint. I had a PDF in an hour that the bank looked at and said, "All right, we get it." <laughs> Honest to God, it was amazing. It was amazing. That, well, that so that a that's amazing and what yeah. a great resource to to pass along to uh, this question asker. But uh, I, and to me, I didn't know that that was possible. Yeah. But to me, trying to explain to a bank that they sort of have to dollar cost average my Kickstarters because. A drive Kickstarter will bring in, I don't know, $120,000. A Sheldon yeah. Kickstarter will bring in thirty dollars to $40,000. And so if you dollar cost average those, I make you know X amount of, uh, from Kickstarter a year. The bank right. was like, well, wait, yeah, but you can't forecast that. I was like, well, no, I, I'm an artist. I can't forecast anything. But look at the last five years, and that's basically been the average. So like we can figure this out. The bank did not know how to deal with this because it, uh, to their credit, it's not a standardized, repeatable process. Art is not a standardized you know, Patreon is somewhat standardized, actually, thank right, God. Right. But everything else is like some years you're up 10, some years you're down 10. <laughs> but you kind of kind of average those out in terms of an art career. Right. Yeah. And so but banks hate that. Ooh, it's literally oh, my like, gosh, uh, it's almost like a meme. Banks hate this one simple trick. And the simple <laughs> trick is making a living from art. <laughs> and uh, I, but I can't believe it's going to be that way for uh, much longer because I like like there's more and more people making their living doing this kind of thing when all that there's. All, when all there is out there is service industry jobs, there's, there's, they're going to be dealing with this a lot more often. You'd be surprised, though. We are the oh. rare unicorn that yeah. has to deal with banking using our weird. Because remember, we always talk about have many yeah. legs under the table. And Brad yeah. and I go to the bank and we're like, OK, here's Patreon. Here's Kickstarter. And like we're manually putting all the legs under the table. Here's yeah. ad income. Here's convention sales. Here's online book sales. Here's eBay. And there, you can see the bankers going, wait, what? What? How is someone oh. building a living out of this? Yeah. And and they're like, you know, I can remember questions from the banker that's like, well, what happens when convention sales are, are off like they are right now during the pandemic? Yeah. I'm like, I build it intentionally this way so that if I lose that X number of dollars from conventions, I still have the And the banker was like, what? How are you building a life? None of this makes sense. And I was like, yeah. I get it. It's complicated. It's not just a W-2. But uh, so anyway, I'm very sympathetic to this question asker. I would say you have to be able to document uh, over a two or three year cycle, yes. uh, somewhat within the range of repeatability. This is yes. how much I make from eBay. This mm -hmm. is how much I make from Patreon. This is how much I make from Kickstarter. This is how much I make from conventions. So if you have a two or three year cycle, you can show them, look, this is, I get it that this is a weird form of living or making a living, yeah. but uh, it's within some realm of repeatability. This is my annualized income. Yeah, absolutely. And that's what makes, I, I mean, honestly, being self-employed makes banking differently. But there's one thing that you can bank on, and that's Dave and I joining you every week for another episode of Comic Lab, the show about making comics and making a living from comics. Your hosts have been my strong-throated friend there, Brad Geiger, oh, the oh. editor of webcomics.com and the creator of Evil Inc. at evil-comic.com. And my friend Dave Kellett, the co-director of the comics documentary Stripped and the cartoonist of Sheldon at sheldoncomics.com and Drive at drivecomic.com. 
And the Comic Lab theme song is used with permission from Andy Creighton at theworldrecord.net. And this episode was edited by Matt Woodard of Woodsong Productions over at www.woodsong.media. And a shout out once again to our sponsors for this week's show, Wacom at WACOM.com and Comicraft at comicbookfonts.com. If you love Comic Lab, you can rate and review the show on Apple Podcasts and you may hear your review featured on a future episode. And Comic Lab is made possible by your support at patreon.com slash comic lab. So we'll go ahead and say that like Susan McTaggart. <laughs> patreon.com slash the world is your oyster as long as you have a knife to crack it open. <laughs> That's kind of terrifying, actually. It kind of was. Brad, are you familiar with the human body? I am familiar with the human body. What would you say? I think it's a, a, a Latin-based word to describe the, the, the science, the, the, the layout, and the drawing of the human body. <laughs> Anatomy. Anatomy. Okay. Yeah. Now, how would, you, how would you describe a body, or, sorry, a drawing that is based on the anatomical arts? How would you describe that? Anatomi- uh, anatomicable. <laughs> An animatic, an animatomic, animatomic. Stop. It's animatomicable. Just tell me how to say it. Animate, an anatomy, animatomical. I want to, I want to, much like Sesame Street, I want to give a shout out to the sponsor today, which is the letter M for its unnecessary use in the word anatomy here in Brad's description. And Brad, I I thank you so much. I want to get you off to the hospital before any further damage is done. (laughs) Tell me, just tell me how to say it right.